0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Thank you for tuning in. It's great to be with you. So much happening so fast. So fast, you got to cut through the clutter, you got to try to see it as fast as you can. And one minute, you've got Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey admitting that his company did a bad job of managing its own services. The next minute, you've got uh, the Joe Biden campaign admitting that they've lied for I don't know, five years, four, three years. It just doesn't stop. It's happening so fast, and uh, and we've got to go through. We have got to cut through it. Well, tonight we will have a chance to uh, visit with a new author. I haven't I haven't had her on the show. I only read her recently. Danielle Gill. Her father is Dinesh D'Souza, a very proud dad, and uh, she'll be with us. And we'll also talk with John Schlafly. We'll get the Schlafly report update, and a lot more, and a lot more. But. First, what you need to know, the Daily Wink, and go over to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up and get their email version of the Daily Wink, the Wink, y, excuse me, W-Y-N-K, what you need to know, and that'll go in your email box. You sign up there, it gets in 5 a.m. in the morning, Monday through Friday, bam, you get all your problems solved. When you wake up, you go read that and you're, all, you're informed. And, uh, but here's what I want to tell you, what you need to know today. What you need to know today, Joe Biden and his campaign are lying in the wrong way. And later on, I think I'll finish the show talking about Steve Scully, the C-SPAN host, who got caught lying about his Twitter account being hacked. He was having an intimate exchange with a never-Trumper, and uh, then he lied about it. Now he's been suspended. It's bad stuff. It's uh, stupid to lie. Okay, that's the first message. Don't lie. If you get caught with something, just tell the truth. It's always better to come clean. But if you're going to lie in politics, you got to know what you're doing. You got to know how to read the room, and you got to read the answers. And so here's what happened with Joe Biden when the when these when this famous laptop, actually, his three laptops, have surfaced with Hunter Biden's photographs and his emails, and how it got into the hands of the media or whoever is another story that's all funky. It's uh, Hunter Biden dropped him off at a computer repair shop, never picked him up. After a while, you know, the law of something that's left behind after a certain time, I think the law says it, it. you know, it can become the property of the person who's holding it, but I'm not sure it happens as fast as it is anyway, whatever. But when the Biden campaign was confronted with this, they did not say those pictures and those emails are not real. They're doctored or anything. They, they didn't say that. They didn't dispute them. In fact, they didn't dispute the veracity of them, it meaning I guess they think that they exist and they are what they are. Now, for years... Joe Biden has said he didn't know what his son was doing in uh, Ukraine. He didn't know what he was doing in China, even though he traveled on Air Force Two to, with uh, his dad and he no, never talked to him about it, which stretch, you know, stretches credulity. But whatever. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just have a weird family. But here's the thing. He also said he never talked about Burisma and never talked to Burisma officials. And according to the emails that have been disclosed, Hunter Biden was being thanked by his Barisma colleagues for setting up a meeting with Joe Biden. Now, when confronted with this, what did the Joe Biden campaign do? They released a statement that said, According to the official calendar, Joe Biden did not meet with them. Are you kidding? Anybody who knows anything about uh, sort of elected officials knows there's an official calendar and then there's not an official calendar, you know, unofficial or, or sort of private or outside. And the reason why is if you're a U.S. senator or vice president, or in my case, I worked for a governor, and the governor of the state of Missouri, when I worked for him, he had lots of stuff that didn't go on the official calendar. Fundraising events, discussion with party officials, uh, meetings with people about campaign strategy, all that kind of stuff. And you wouldn't put it on the official calendar because it wasn't official business, but it it existed. So when Biden's campaign said it wasn't there was no official um, a meeting, no meeting on the official calendar, what they really meant was there probably was a meeting. And so when they said it that way, by definition, by by by, um, you know, it would be malpractice not to ask the next question, which is, well, did he have a meeting earlier? You know, a few hours after that statement, then the Biden campaign said there may have been an informal meeting. Look, I have to tell you, I, I think it's a major, major problem. If it turns out that there was a meeting between the Burisma officials engineered by Hunter Biden, it takes away from Biden, uh, Joe Biden, all the argument he's been making, which is don't try to, you know, every family's got children. Some of them have a drug problem. Some of them have other problems. We, my son had some of those problems. Don't lump me in with them. You know, let me stand alone. And Americans tend to like to let families alone. But not when it's clearly the swamp. And here's the sort of the second part of what you need to know is that the the, the most powerful instinct in the electorate right now is drain the swamp. When they look up and see Nancy Pelosi lecturing Wolf Blitzer about, you know, we'll get to it when we want to help people, when people are struggling, and they realize that Nancy Pelosi is worth a couple hundred million dollars, and they realize that the rules apply to one set of people, you and me, and and not to others, those in power. They just take, they think drain the swamp. And there's nothing that says drain the swamp more than your son getting millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, they don't even think we really know. And you claiming, oh, no, I wasn't involved at all. And then it turns out you were involved. It turns out you were inside it all. It turns out you were a, a part of it in the sense that you were engineering it. You don't have to be the one in the room signing the paperwork to be the one who's making it happen. And there's now there's uh, emails leaked about a Chinese government, China, $30 million payments to Hunter Biden. I mean, at what point? Maybe we should see Hunter Biden's tax returns. Maybe that would tell us something if everybody wants to do tax returns. But back to my point, what you need to know is the Biden campaign is caught. They're in a box now and they lied about it. And so it becomes a story. One last point on this, as Twitter and Facebook shut it down and didn't allow people to forward the stories. And then Jack Dorsey later sort of qualified and said they shouldn't have done that. They allowed that to become part of the story. I mean, think about Ted Cruz and and Lindsey Graham held a press conference. They're going to subpoena Jack Dorsey of Twitter because of this. And the conversation will be all about Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, the inappropriateness. None of it's good for the Biden campaign. So Amy Coney Barrett's going through with ease and the country's seeing this classy, smart, talented woman that Trump picked. Then Biden's going through the mud and, and you're stuck. That's what you need to know. Now one more what you need to know today. I just can't resist. I kept meaning to bring this up and that is this. You uh have you noticed? There's no AOC. Where's AOC? Don't you wonder where AOC is? I mean, AOC is supposed to be the, you know, the the dynamo, the energetic, charismatic. Uh where's Bernie Sanders? I guess I know where Bernie Sanders is. He's not particularly charismatic, but he did have a big following. Where's the energy? Coming from the base of the Democrat Party, rallying the troops to go through the tape, and I'll give you the answer. My instinct—I'm not sure of it. They don't really care about Biden. They don't really think of Biden as the future. They don't think of Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris and Biden are the future of the Democrat establishment. The activists in the Democrat Party don't really care about them. And my 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 my, uh, my point to you is: you will end up you will end up with less energy for candidates and that will translate into less votes so you can say all you want and by the way the numbers reported by uh trump uh and biden today uh the numbers fundraising extraordinary numbers if you were just reported trump's alone for i think the month of september was like 600 million dollars you'd be like whoa but i think biden raised like 900 million i mean this is real real jack uh but but money isn't everything and i just wonder aoc versus acb It looks like ACB every day, all day long, Amy Coney Barrett, and no sign of AOC. I would have thought by now that we would have seen AOC deployed. Now, late in the day on Thursday, I noticed that uh, Obama put out a statement that he will begin campaigning for uh, Joe Biden. So perhaps in the last two and a half weeks, we'll see Obama arise from his uh, his very, um, uh, you know, well, well uh, uh, apportioned uh, uh, chair in uh, in whatever wealthy place he's living. He's got a huge home he bought on on Cape Cod or somewhere, Martha's Vineyard. Uh, But he, he may be getting engaged. But where's AOC? Where's the base of the Democrat Party having rallies, having uh, online efforts? I I don't know. It's not obvious to me, but my guess is they're standing down. My guess is they're not really uh, committed uh, to where they see uh, the Democrat Party going at least under... under Joe Biden. So that's what you need to know. That's what you need to know. All right. Listen, a couple of details. Follow me on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, and do me a favor and uh, like, um, uh, follow me and then uh, um, invite others to follow me on Twitter. We're growing our Twitter following. It's very effective. A couple nights ago when we had our Collegians event, we had over a 1,000 people participate virtually, uh, college students and then others. It was fantastic. But one of the valuable things was for them to promote uh, and to amplify what we're doing on social media. At Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter, Ed Martin Live on Facebook, over on the regular internet phyllis and of course proamericareport.com to sign up for the daily newsletter so uh, we'll take a break when we come back we'll talk with danielle de uh, Sousa gill whose new book is called the choice uh, the abortion divide in america very interesting of uh, a young woman writing about this and writing especially about her generation we'll take a break and be right back ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment
0: this is the pro america report on the answer
1: san diego you <laughs> Welcome back, Ed Martin. Here on the Pro America Report, our next guest is Danielle Gill. Now, I have to tell you, Danielle, I make you smile. But uh, we had this guy on the show last week uh, named Dinesh D'Souza, and he said, "You got to have my daughter on about her book." So I, I know you never would run from that name, but of course that is your father. And uh, so Danielle Gill. But I really am excited to talk to you today, and our listeners will be interested in the book. It's called "The Choice: The Abortion Divide in America." So welcome to the program. And as you watched the uh, coverage of amy coney barrett's nomination was the abortion divide in america any clearer than watching the senators how they handle themselves yeah it's just
2: so clear that the left's fear that roe v wade is going to be overturned is really driving everything that they're doing right now especially with attacking amy coney barrett and they're constantly questioning her on it and i think her response is that saying that Roe v. Wade is not super precedent uh, kind of shows the left that, yeah, you should be fearful that Roe v. Wade could be overturned.
1: <laughs> well, and, and, and here's the thing I wonder about when I watch this. I want to see what you think, because you wrote about it in your book. You um, the divide, you know, uh, the, the left isn't trying to find common ground. They're not trying to say what's common sense about abortion, say limiting abortion. They've sort of subscribed to a hard line on it. And it, as you say, that's that's sort of all they can think of in these hearings. But I guess is the general public with them on that? Are they are, are they are the is the general public um, in the same spot that the political powers are on the left?
2: Absolutely not. Most Americans don't agree with the left, which is that abortion empowers women. Abortion is no different than any other healthcare procedure. You know, this in the womb, this is a polyp, this is an appendix, this is a body part, this isn't a human being. Most Americans don't agree with that. I think we all know what pregnancy is. We know what's going on in the womb. And that's why the left has had to kind of pivot to saying this is a human, but it's not a person.
1: Yeah, and, and so I think that I think that's part of it. Okay, um, how do you think Amy Coney Barrett handled herself? I mean, I, I, when I when I say that, I mean you're an observer again of the abortion divide, but also uh, the Kavanaugh th- uh, fights. I mean, give me your impressions of her.
2: Yeah, well, I think that you know we kind of saw with the Kavanaugh hearing that. Uh, even Christine Blasey Ford's lawyer, Deborah Cass, said that Roe v. Wade is part of what motivated Christine. So clearly we're seeing now with the attacks on Amy Klobuchar Barrett that it's really motivated by the left's uh, fear that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. And I think that Judge Barrett has done a, done a great job in kind of, you know, being very uh, put together, answering every question directly. She's um, really an impeccable candidate. Her, her qualifications are great. So I can't see how the left could really stop her.
1: No, I I was with somebody last night. By the way, we were talking with uh, Danielle Gill. Uh, her Twitter feed is uh, D- at Danielle D'Souza. DeS- uh, A.G. DeSouza uh, G. Sorry, G on the end for Gill. That's why. That, sorry, Danielle. I'll put, it, I'll put it up on my Twitter account. I was listening to someone last night. They said um, it's gone so well for Amy Coney Barrett. She's clearly bright. She's clearly qualified. She seems to have a great temperament. But the person said to me, uh, it's about how it felt right about now with Kavanaugh. The, the Kavanaugh had made all the right impressions and then the left came with this, uh, you know, shocking development aided by the media and the media went wild. And of course, um, as I said to someone, even Senator Hirono, those questions this past week, which were disgusting, you know, asking Amy Coney Barrett if she'd ever, you know, been, I don't know, arrested for uh, misconduct or different things. I won't even, I won't even uh, dignify them by quoting it. To me, that was about making Kavanaugh pay because all the stories would have to write about how he was, um, uh, it was alleged against him and all. And I think that the long play for the left is to damage the, the uh, quality and credibility of people so that they won't be as strong and they won't stay strong. So, uh, Danielle, let, let me ask you about that. Um, what is your what's your thoughts on the media, the power of the media, the power of the media's vision on on the uh, abortion question?
2: Yeah, the media is incredibly powerful, and I think the fact that even that they ran so many stories, there was some criticism of her for adopting children from Haiti. So I think they kind of saw, okay, we can't really accuse her of sexual assault, so why don't we just say she's a racist? And um, obviously, I don't think anyone bought that, but I think that... The media's goal is really to just discredit our side. We even saw that with the coverage of the the VP debates. Mike Pence clearly won. Twitter was really blowing up with him winning. But the left then runs a story saying, we think it was a draw or we think the focus was on the fly. But obviously, if Kamala Harris won, they would have said that she won. So I think the media's messaging (laughs) is really powerful. But the good thing is that I think so many more Americans are realizing that actually we are living in a day of fake news and they don't the media. There's a lot of disillusionment with the media, and I think we have Trump really to thank for exposing that.
1: Uh, we're talking with Danielle uh, desouza Gill, and her book is called *The Choice: uh, The Abortion Divide in America*. Available at Hatchet. Uh, if you go to hatchetbookgroup.com you'll see it there. Uh, can you, w- for young people, what's the most persuasive part of the abortion debate? Is it is it um, the science that look this is something? It's not a clump of cells. Is it the is it uh, you know more emotional for the younger? We, we see younger Americans are more pro life than even you know uh, their, their uh, colleagues. Five years older. Why? What's going on there? What is it that? What's the most effective argument uh, on abortion that seems to work with young people and have them understand the the issue?
2: Yeah, wasn't back in the days of nineteen seventy three Roe v. Wade. People said things like, you know, we don't really know if there's life in the womb. When do we know that life begins? Maybe there's potential life and things like that. And that's, of course, are very weak for our side. But I think now we can say clearly with the development of ultrasound, clearly with seeing the baby, hearing the heartbeat a few weeks in, things like that, we know that there's life in the womb. So I think that it's the scientific arguments, it's the facts, but it's also the human rights element. And this idea that today, you know, so many of us want to be compassionate, so many of us try. Talk about you know these social justice issues but this is the greatest you know mass killing of our time and the unborn are the most vulnerable of any population so I think that a lot of young people kind of look at it as you know these are the facts and these are my feelings on it and I think that powerful combination will be the most um, the best way to win people over
1: we we again, we're talking with Danielle D'Souza Gill and, uh, the book is The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. Uh, Danielle, the media, when you're an author and when you're a young woman author, I'd say you're a target for the media to say and write terrible things. And when you're on social media, there's incredible trolls and all. How, how difficult is that for you? And you, of course, you come out of your family, your family's had to live with that too. But how difficult has that been to be someone who's, you know, kind of puts, pokes her head up to say, I, I believe this and has to deal with the sort of wrath of the, the, uh, woke, uh, woke kaida, as, uh, Mike, uh, uh, Mike Kelly said on the show. How, how have you dealt with that?
2: Yeah, well, the left is totally unhinged. I mean, this cancel culture we're living in, basically every conservative student experiences it on the campus, whether you're in a, in a radical left you know, campus like I was, or you're even in a red area. I mean, professors, this whole industry is left. And so then when people leave the campus, they realize, oh, wait, actually, this is also going to happen to me at work. Oh, wait, this is actually happening to me in my social circles. This is happening to me on social media with censorship, all these things. So I think that Americans are just completely set up with it and at least for me and in my family i've realized that you know there is no point going through life going through life saying you know i just want everyone to like me and all this stuff because we are so beyond that in the country of this idea that everyone is just gonna get along and you know sing kumbaya and whatever so i think it's most important to fight for what's right and fight for the unborn for me because i know that if we don't no one will
1: uh, again, uh, Danielle Gill, the book is The Choice. Uh, one last question. The election's coming in, in less than three weeks uh, or so. And how do you tell young people who care about this issue, who are pro-life and you say, well, it seems like we got some good judges, we've got some good direction and all, you know, we're doing, doing pretty well. And yet, you know, we're an election away from dramatically changing. I mean, what's your what's your uh, sort of elevator pitch on what's important this election cycle?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, if someone mentions the courts, I mean, look at Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. They won't deny that they'll pack the courts. So let's say we do confirm Amy Coney Barrett. I mean, it doesn't stop there because the left wants to create their own, uh, you know, their own rules to play by. So, um, unfortunately, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are elected, what's going to happen? Well, they've talked about it. They're going to try to overturn the Hyde Amendment, which basically is what protects Americans like you and me from having to pay for other people's abortions through federal funding. So they want federal funding for abortion. They also advocate for late-term abortion. And um, so I think things like that, I mean, they really don't resonate with the American people. It's going to make a huge difference um, as far as who's elected, what America we're going to be looking in living in. And of course, our Supreme Court is important, but uh, we need this also reflected in our laws.
1: Hmm. All right, Danielle, thank you for taking the time and thank you for the book. The book, again, is called The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. Danielle D'Souza Gill, uh, it's a hatchet book, so I'll put it up on social media. I'm available. I was looking everywhere books are sold. So thanks again, uh, Danielle. Uh, very important topic and great to have your voice out there and so loud and clear. Appreciate it.
2: I appreciate it. Thanks so much.
1: You're welcome. All right, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. (laughs) Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's time to talk to John Schlafly. The Schlafly Report is available over at townhall.com each Tuesday evening at Posts and then uh, also available at phyllisschlafly.com in the archives. You can tune in and uh, John and Andy Schlafly uh, do that column together, keeping up the tradition that their mother had for many, many decades of writing a weekly column. John, this week's column is called Trump Could Stun Experts with a Repeat of 1948 – walk us through why 48 what what you think is the parallels and uh, and tell us what you mean
0: well Ed uh, we were exploring a little history uh, about the election of Harry Truman in 1948 and we were uh, stunned by the parallels to be honest even as mm-hmm. even a silly one like the fact that the election day that year was very early uh, as early as it huh. could be just as it is, this year. So, um, Truman was an accidental, was regarded as an accidental president. He'd become president only because he was vice president. Uh, he wasn't, and uh, you know, people thought that he uh, was, the, the polls showed that he was going to lose, and so much so that the his opponent, the Republican candidate, Tom Dewey, almost didn't bother to campaign. Uh, he was really calling coasting and not yeah. trying to rock the boat, just kind just trying to uh, you know basically run out the clock as people are saying right now about Biden. In fact, I just saw an article today Ed that Biden and Harris are just running out the clock because they think they've got it won and they don't want to yeah. jeopardize that. Well, that's what happened in 1948. And Truman uh, threw himself into uh, a a very energetic campaign. And he had what was called the whistle-stop campaign. He took trains and stopped everywhere to speak to the people. He was very energetic, kind of the way Trump is. He was kind of... uh, And and Truman was a plain-spoken, you know... uh, you know, coarse talking man, kind of like Trump. There had some personality comparisons. And Truman just drove up the, he energized the voters in the Midwest especially. Now, at that time, believe it or not, the Republicans basically owned the Northeast, including New York, which was a much bigger factor than it is today. The Republican candidate, Dewey, was governor of New York. And, uh, and And what, but when the votes were counted, yes, Dewey won the Northeast, but it wasn't enough to put him over the top because Harry Truman had locked down the Middle West, uh, including Ohio and other Republican states, just basically through the force of his energetic campaigning. And uh, so you know that could happen again this year,, uh, Ed. We see this happening with Trump going out doing these events that draw huge crowds, energetic crowds. Whereas Biden well, here's an, is just yeah, you know sitting yeah. in circles, sitting and, and and he has three or four or maybe fifteen people showing up in circles, and there's no energy there.
1: We're talking with John Schlafly. The Schlafly uh, Report where it runs at townhall.com on Tuesday evening, available at, sh- at uh, com. Hey, John, there's another parallel, uh, parallel, actually, in 1948. People don't realize the, the Congress that was seated from 1947 January through January of 49, uh, which was nicknamed by Truman the Do-Nothing Congress, and he ran against it. He said, those people do nothing. They didn't get anything done. And he was able to tag them with it. People don't realize that actually they had done a lot that Congress, many, many things. Things. In fact, the late Philip Schlafly wrote about how it was one of the more consequential. The reason he got away with that, uh, Truman, was he called him into special session in August and said, fix this or that, and they didn't do it. And then he said to the public, you see, they didn't do it. These are do-nothing. These people don't want to do anything. I'm, I'm Harry Truman. Let's go. You know, give him hell, Harry. Uh, well, Trump has this interesting teed up. Pelosi is sort of getting stuck, I think, a little bit with even CNN's Wolf Blitzer yesterday or two days ago said something like, you know, why aren't you doing something to get Give this help to people that are stuck and she said "Oh, don't worry we're taking care of what we need to take care of and it has a feeling of the sort of do nothing or maybe drain the swamp the question I have yeah. for you John is even Truman back then notwithstanding the headline the picture photo runs in your in your column of Harry Truman holding up the uh, of the uh, newspaper the day after it says Dewey defeats Truman he's he's victorious uh, Truman is the media seems much worse and much more powerful in their opposition to Trump
0: yes now you know, at that time, of course, the, you know the parties were reversed. We've gone through a cycle of parties switching sides almost. And at that time, uh, the Republicans had the Northeast, and the and the, the 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 newspaper that had the false headline. Of course, the, the truth is that there was they were on strike and they had to print the paper. Uh, well before before the polls closed. So they took a gamble on I that. See. But, but that right. was a solid Republican paper. Imagine that. Hard
1: to believe. The most
0: widely circulated newspaper in the country at that time, the Chicago Tribune, was a pro-Republican, anti-Truman paper. So, But, you know, things are obviously reversed today. Um, but you, you're so right. To me, of course, the media now, we're talking about uh, you know the online is uh, services uh, silicon Valley uh, you know is the biggest source of news or fake news, and uh, right. you know they're controlling it I mean you you saw what happened today where uh, Facebook just arbitrarily decided to not allow any of its members to share the expose about Hunter Biden. Uh, right, they, they they tamp that down so it cannot be viewed by their millions of members. So, I mean, right. that's the thing we're dealing with now. Uh, the well, and that and, and, of the channels of communication. Yeah.
1: And you know, there's a, another book which I could find on my bookshelf that's it's called The Last Election, and it says that Dewey versus Truman was the last election, and and the argument in, in it is that um it's by a guy named Carabell, K-A-R-A-B-E-L-L, and it's very interesting that it was the last election in the sense that after 48, um the, the onward from there, uh it became an advertising game. You know, you you actually were using television, and Eisenhower used uh, TV and all, and it became just it was the last sort of pure election. Uh, Dewey uh, versus Truman, and I guess my point here is, maybe this is the last election because the power that the media has got over over everything that's happening, I can't imagine in four years that they're not going to you know be even more active. And maybe Trump is the only candidate and the only incumbent who's got the the power to uh, to go over the top. His rallies, he's going three rallies a day now that he's recovered, and, and go. But I have to say, John, it, it feels. Um, it feels un, unlikely. Hey, I don't want to ask you. We're talking with John Schlafly, John, because you've written on this question of election uh, integrity and, and the chaos to come. We spoke with Judge Jeanine Pirro recently, and she said, I'm not directly quoting, but close paraphrasing. She doesn't know how we stop the chaos. She doesn't know how it is, is kind of made to stop when it comes to Election Day problems.
0: Uh, well, there have been. People have been spinning worst-case scenarios about what may happen if uh, battleground states—the uh, election is undecided in several battleground states—so that there's no winner either on election night, midnight, or the next day, or the next day, or the next day. And uh, you know there are some there are some structural flaws in the system mm-hmm. of. Determining the next president. Of course, you know it's the next. The president-elect is supposed to be determined in plenty of time uh, before inauguration day, a month earlier. But uh, uh, so you know, and we've seen what will happen with the mobs in the streets. In fact, just this week, Ed, just just on Monday on Columbus Day, uh, I mean, the day before yesterday. There was more riots in Portland, Oregon, which is one of the whitest cities in America, tearing down statues of Christopher Columbus, Abraham Lincoln, I mean, setting fires in businesses. I mean, this, you know, the summer is over now, and yet... Um the violence by the left-wing Antifa, whoever it is, and I don't know why the attorney general hasn't uh, taken action against whoever is fomenting and financing those people, but here we are, and that could, uh, just like the virus, it could flare up again after the election. And there's reason to be fearful yeah. of that.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't see. And I, and I think a lot of people are hoping that the early attention in the last uh, month or two to the problem, maybe it, it helps fix it. All right, John Schlafly, I got to run. Uh, the column again is the Schlafly report. It's available over townhall.com and archived at com. Trump could stun experts with a repeat of 1948 uh, by John and Andy Schlafly. Thank you, John.
0: Thank you, Ed. All,
1: all right, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I'm back in a moment
0: the pro-america report on the answer san diego this is the phyllis schlafly report a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of phyllis schlafly now the president of phyllis schlafly eagles ed martin
1: some conservatives were baffled when phyllis schlafly the founder of the modern pro-family movement became one of the first true movement conservatives to endorse donald trump at a rally in st louis missouri on march 11th 2016. From the self-publication of her groundbreaking book, A Choice, Not an Echo, in 1964, Phyllis Schlafly was a pioneer in backing strong conservative candidates, particularly for the Republican nomination for the presidency. Almost no conservative with clout like Phyllis Schlafly had dared to throw their weight behind a billionaire named Donald Trump. However, Phyllis knew something they didn't. Phyllis met privately with Trump before the endorsement rally. He personally promised her that he would support the conservative Republican Party platform. To Phyllis, this was everything. As someone deeply involved in every Republican National Convention from 1952 through 2016, Phyllis had carefully worked for decades to keep the platform conservative. She was the delegate who introduced the first pro-life language into the platform. In her mind, the platform was the voice of conservative grassroots activists throughout the nation. When Donald Trump promised to follow it, Phyllis believed he would honor that promise. From cutting taxes and cutting regulation to promoting the Constitution and promoting American exceptionalism, Donald Trump has consistently kept his commitment to honor the conservative values embodied in the Republican Party platform. Never Trumpers claim Trump was a liberal in disguise, but he's done more to codify the conservative values of the platform than any other president in modern history. Phyllis was right to trust Trump, just like she was right to fight for a conservative platform. If the platform doesn't stay conservative, Americans have no real choice between Republicans and Democrats. All they'll get is an echo of the other party. Thankfully, the 2016 Republican platform Phyllis crafted was the most conservative platform in the party's history. And now the Republican Party has chosen to keep the 2016 Schlafly platform for another four years. If history is any indication, conservatives can be confident a reelected President Trump will continue to fight for the values their conservative platform proclaims.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com and join us again. For the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Let's uh, wrap things up tonight with another lesson on how not to lie. And uh, this one, this uh, time, we're talking about Steve Scully. The C-SPAN reporter, he's he's a host at C-SPAN. Other than Brian Lamb, the founder of C-SPAN, who was there forever, like for 45 years, uh, Steve Scully has been one of the faces of C-SPAN's, what is it called, Washington Journal, the morning show, and then also their election coverage, and he got caught lying. So what was he lying about? Well, uh, he was an intern for Joe Biden, but nobody nobody was surprised at that. That was years ago. When he was selected to do the debate, he was supposed to be the debate uh, uh, host of the second debate, presidential debate. Uh, it was kind of a surprise because it's C-SPAN and, you know, he's mo- usually they pick a couple of people and they they pick them from the major networks and all. But not entirely surprising, but um it came out that he had been pretty negative on Trump, and, and I think he probably is pretty liberal. And that's, again, not surprising at this point in the media landscape. So the president tweeted about him and said, you know, he's a never-Trumper and he's a liberal or what a Biden person or something. And I have to say, if you're going to play big league ball, and and Steve Scully has, you've you got to be ready. You know, you're going to be on stage with the most powerful leader in in, in in the world and one of the more, you know, dynamic political candidates ever, you got to be able to handle a little bit of Twitter push and pull. So then Steve Scully did. And this is the thing I want to tell you about. I mean, I want to point to Steve Scully did where he sent what he thought was a direct message to Anthony Scaramucci, who was once the for about 11 days, he was the communications director in the White House. He had known Trump back in New York, and he's kind of a character. Scaramucci comes on. Then I think he, he uh, said things off the record and meant to say them off the record, said them on the record, that it were offensive, and he basically was pushed out really quickly, mostly by the media that, that kind of made it a, a thing. But be that as it may, um, Steve Scully did a direct message to uh, Scaramucci saying, should I engage Trump, except he didn't do it as direct message. It went out on his Twitter feed. Scaramucci responded and then when confronted by this exchange this kind of exchange amongst uh, people that hate Trump or at least Scaramucci does now, Steve Scully fell back on the I was hacked line. Now Joy Reid over at MSNBC got away with this. She said that her uh, her blog was hacked years ago when it said uh, statements that were what are are called homophobic. I would say they were more critical of some of the uh, LGBTQ lifestyle. But Joy Reid got away with saying she was hacked. But you can't really do that i mean she got away with it because it's msnbc she's an african-american woman and they sort of just push their way through it but a normal person's not going to get away with it so when steve scully said he was a hacked said he was his account was hacked everybody thought yeah right well you probably saw the news that he came forward and admitted he wasn't hacked he had the exchange and he's been suspended indefinitely here's the thing you should take away from this number one i guess we cannot have any um real thoughts anymore That Our media is without bias and that they can control it. I mean, you know, I have said over and over again, I'm sure that um, I feel sure that uh, Walter Cronkite had his own bias, his own positions, but he was able to control himself. He was able to put it aside and do his job i mean that was that was what you expected him to do, and he did it I mean again, he probably was liberal he probably frustrated a lot of people i I, I think he did but and and now we have these uh people in public life they just can't control themselves they cannot control uh the um the the reality of their uh, biases and how far they go and how fast they go and so it's um it's crazy to watch. It's crazy to watch. And, um, and so his, th- that's the one thing. The second thing is this, is that when you get caught, he needs to just, he needs to just say, hey, th- th- I did send that message or I did uh, uh, send that uh, tweet. And, and he would have been better then. I think it would have been better than lying. The lying part is what got him in trouble. Again, just like uh, what's happening with the Biden campaign. Now, one more observation. Do you know how frequent it is for people to send an email or a text to the wrong person? The, the difference maker on social media is when you send it to the wrong person in the wrong way, it might go out to 50,000 followers or whatever number, you know, a huge number. And that's what happened here in this case. And so it, you have to kind of you shake your head and you say, wow, this is truly uh, the modern problem. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's hard to picture sending a letter to the wrong address. It could happen. You know, there was a famous incident in 1776 where um, the assistant... The chief of staff to George Washington had actually written a letter to a, a general that was a competitor to Washington and basically said, uh, my boss, Washington, is gone weak. He, he's got indecision. He's not a good leader. And that general wrote back to uh, the assistant the chief of staff to, to Washington. And Washington got the mail that day. And so Washington opened up the letter because he thought maybe it was business for his uh, for the army, and he saw this betrayal of his uh, of, of his guy. So it's a big deal. This is a big. So there, I, I'm sure there are moments where mail, you know, paper mail gets sent to the wrong person, but pretty uncommon. But I can't tell you the number of times that somebody sends an email to the wrong person or hits reply to an email that they mean to forward. Uh, and sends it to the wrong person. Same thing with texts. You know, you ever have somebody go down in a texting line and you're responding to the last person on your list, thinking it's the second to last, and you say something? It's a it's a, it's a modern sort of technological problem. But uh, poor, I don't know if I should say poor Steve Scully, but Steve Scully certainly got himself exposed in this case as a, uh, not only a liberal, and not only a um, somebody who was misleading, but he kind of really was uh, exposed as, as uh, terrible judgment. Let's say it that way. I don't know the guy, uh, but he's paying a big price for it. His career is impacted in a big way. And, uh, of course, President Trump tweeted about it and said, I was right all along about uh, Steve Scully. And, uh, and of course, the media went crazy that he was bragging on it, but that's Trump. So, all right, got to run, everybody. Listen, we'll be back tomorrow. A thank you to Noah, our technical director, for uh, keeping us on track, keeping things going. Joanna, for booking our guests, and all of you for listening. Be back tomorrow night. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.